the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. And so they read, oh, we need to honor people. So you know what happened then? They started giving titles to different people. So we're going to call them Reverend this or Pastor this or Bishop this. We started giving a great deal of titles. Now, I know that this does give a recognition to people who is the head shepherd or shepherds here, who leads, who does that. So you give a title. But frankly, folks, um, the world might need that. And some people who don't know who is that we might need that. But I'm happy with you just calling me Stan. Maybe not if you call me Stanley, but I like Stan, all right? My middle name is Rudolph. I appreciate when you don't call me by my middle name. But I don't need to be called Reverend. In fact, the only person to revere is the Lord. And some people say, well, we'll call you Mr. Well, be careful with that, all the people. that say, we'll just call you Mr. That's a takeoff on the word Master. And Jesus said, don't call me that either. So I, I, want, you, I want you to know he was a teacher. And so you don't have to call me that. Pastor Dennis, Pastor Charlie, these guys are fine with Dennis and Charlie. Maybe in a group publicly you might want to give them the title just so people know our rank and what we're doing. That's how we're so important. But man, when we're with you at your house, I'm just Stan, just Dennis, just Charlie. We are brothers, that's all. We want to just help you. So it's not by elevating us through titles. That doesn't cut it. Okay, let's talk about the second one, the quality of appreciation. Now we're going to talk about the quality of discernment. Now, I put that discernment in here because you're going to see different kinds of people and we need to know what kind of people are out there, what do they actually need to help them, we're going to learn that from the passage, and maybe a little bit about when we do it. So we're going to talk about being discerning, verses 14 and 15. Have your Bibles? Here we go. Now we exhort you, brethren, keeps on saying exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. So let's learn a little bit about what this might mean. Now some of you might think, well, okay, someone has a problem, we need to fix it. And we just begin to give them general solutions. Oh, we're going to pray for you. Oh, just read your Bible. Well, that's really good, but it doesn't fit practicality. When I go to the doctor and I'm not feeling very good, bad sore throat, very achy, they determine that I need to have medicine, my doctor doesn't say to the nurse, give them some drugs. Well, what kind do you want to give, Stan? Any drug. Just go there, give them any kind of drugs. No, they give me the right drug for the right sickness that I have so that I would get over this thing and get well. So for you and me, what we have to discern is who are the sick people that are around us? What is the type of spiritual drug that we give to them? Because our desire is to get them healthy again because healthy people then are the people that will add the most value to others. Why? Because we know that hurting people hurt people. So if a person is hurting, we're going to have a hurting church over here because hurting people hurt church. 
people. So now if we can get them healthy, they're not going to hurt as much. So now let's look here at being discerning three different kinds of people just in this passage alone. First of all, I'm supposed to warn those who are idle when they're lazy. Now, I don't want you to go on a kick and start looking at people that are lazy in your midst, but at the same time, God will reveal who might be lazy and idle. Now, some commentators say that that word that means unruly also could mean disorderly. Others say it could mean idle. So it's a little bit of idleness. It could be unruliness. They're kind of both mixed on this type of thing here. But the bottom line is those that are idle and those that are lazy, they need to have a little bit of help. Then he talks about warning them. That word idle is a military word, oddly enough, that was used in the military, not often in the Greek, in the Bible. But it was a military term that was used about military people that would get involved in military and then they wouldn't go to battle and then they would quit. And I got, isn't that interesting how that the Holy Spirit led Paul to take a military term that stood for basically AWOL, basically quitter, and talk about what the Christian church ought to do with those who are the quitters or the unruly ones. And I thought, isn't this wise too? Because what's the, why would I want to help a person who's idle? Well, first of all, if he's idle, sooner or later, he's going to become unruly. People who are idle generally become gossips. Now, we learn that from a lot of other scriptures. They generally turn to be the ones that are the critics, the slanderers, the ones that keep throwing sand in the gears of the forward motion of a ministry or of a family or of a business. So he says, if you're idle, you'll become unruly. So that's why it kind of goes together. But also when you're this way, if you're not doing anything that's productive, then you know at the end of your day, you look at your life and pretty soon it's going to dawn on you that you've wasted that day. And it'll affect your self-esteem. It'll, it'll affect your sense of worth. It'll, it'll affect your sense of why am I here and where am I going kind of attitude. So he says, don't be idle. Don't be lazy. Don't be unruly. Get direction in your life because it will hinder you. And a lot of you can see that when your kids don't have things that they're doing, if they're not being productive on what they should be doing, they'll create soon their own little world and often it'll lead into a direction that could cause tremendous problems. How do I know? I was one of those kids. I remember as a young child, somehow I was not stimulated, wasn't focused, had too much free time. My dad was a house painter. He, inside the garage, he worked out of his, his home because he owned his business and worked out of the garage. And so he had paint cans everywhere, all kinds of paint cans and lacquer thinner and, and mineral spirits and all this stuff. And so nothing was going on. Nobody was home except me. And I went into the garage and I remember when my dad would start the barbecue grill, he'd light it, and then he'd throw that match, and when he did, there was a trail of smoke behind it, and I thought, man, this is cool, it's kind of like a jet flying, you know? So I lit matches, and I threw lit matches all over the garage with all that lacquer thinner, mineral spirits, and paint in there. It's amazing that I'm here today. Not so much because it could have blown, but because when my mom and dad found out about it, they were going to kill me. That's because I was idle, I was creating my own world, and that happens in societies, it happens in churches all along. And so what do they need? The won't-do people. The won't-do people sometimes will say, I can't do because, therefore I won't do because. And what do you do with them? You give them clear direction. 
And I would like to tell you that some of you that are a little bit on the fringe of our church, I'm grateful that you're not throwing rocks yet. But let me tell you, our church is growing. We need help. We need workers. We need those that want to serve in the, in the Sunday school classes. We'd love to start more uh, connection groups all over the island. We could use help. Those of you that have been talented with music, we could have all kinds of music here. Some of you have musical instruments. What do you do especially? Become part of a team. Some of you get so involved in a lot of... S- Good stuff on the island. I'm not going to name things because I don't want anybody to take it too personally. But you're involved in so many, so much stuff out there. But at the end of the day, ask yourself, what spiritual value has this helped my son, my daughter, my family with by getting involved in so much of this stuff when we could have marshaled them around helping others come to know Christ as Savior in a better environment? So you might think about that. So that could help. I, I don't know. Just seriously consider doing that. They need to change. Let's go to the second one. Besides, um, those that need to be challenged with direction if they're lazy, we need to encourage the timid ones. Now, the word timid in the Greek means to be small-souled. Now, I don't want you to think you're a small person, but you're kind of small-souled if you're in the degree of being timid. This is the person that says, you know, I, I don't know if I can really do this, and I feel very scared, and I'm very, very shy. Now, I want you to know I love you, but some of that is after a basic personality style, and some of you are more shy. Some of you grew up in a home where you lived under a lot of criticism. Some of you started young, and when you did something, you received criticism. And so now it's like, I don't know if I can. I really don't think so. I probably will fail. I'm no good. I'm guilty all the time, and we don't try something. You're in good company because Timothy in the Bible about which two books were written, two letters were written to him by Paul. Paul even wrote to him and said the same thing. He talked about his timidity when he said, For God did not give us the spirit of timidity. So what you have is not coming. You can blame it on your personality, blame it on your upbringing. That may have some effect on it, but don't let it. He went on to say, But he's given you the spirit of power. So whatever you think is coming out of your childhood, whatever is coming out of your personality, you have Jesus in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. So you dig into Christ who's inside of you, and you can rise above that timidity. That doesn't mean you're going to be the guy in the front line of every issue. But it does mean that you can step up and do something. So how do you deal with a person like that? These are what I call the scared-to-do people. They're kind of a little fearful about stepping forward to do it. Well, what you do with them is you don't rebuke them. You come alongside them and you gently motivate them. You gently let them know that, you know what? God has given you the gift. God has given you the Holy Spirit. How can I help you? What can I do to encourage you to maybe take a baby step? I remember my wife when she led one of her girlfriends to the Lord years ago. Her name is Diana. And this gal was so raw in her brand new faith, she would not pray publicly. And so for about a month, my wife prayed with her one-on-one and then asked her to just talk to God, just say a one-sentence phrase to God. This woman was so scared, but she was there. And so with, with a shaky voice, she said, Oh, God, God, Jesus, Jesus, God, Father, Jesus, God, 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 Father, Jesus. I love you. Thank you. Amen. That's how she was. Now, we could chuckle at that, and I might chuckle at that too. I'm just grateful nobody recorded my first public prayer. But getting back to this, let me tell you where she is now. She is the prayer chairman of the entire church. It's a big mega church now. And she's got dozens of prayer people behind her so that the entire church is known in their community in San Antonio of being a prayer-centered church. And it started with a little timidity, but someone who gave them a gentle nudge of motivation. 
Now you have people that are within 18 inches of you, an arm's distance, that might be timid about something, whether it's singing or helping or serving or going to another level in their walk with God or doing something with their kids or entering into a better relationship or changing something. And you could come alongside them and love them gently to the next level to help them. Well, here's the next one. I can help those who are weak. It's a little different than timidity. It's a little area of weakness here. Now, some of you might read the word weak, meaning physically weak. And yes, it is true. Those who are physically weak, we ought to open the doors, carry their packages, lighten their load for them. But I think it's not only talking about the physically weak ones. I think it's also talking about the spiritually weak ones. These are the ones that are very fragile in their faith and are very susceptible to error or to sin. And so what do we do with them? Well, since they are very fragile, they might be a new believer, or they're a believer who has not grown in the Lord yet, so they're a baby believer, although they've been saved a long time. What do we do with them? They're very weak. Well, let me tell you, we have to make choices. The first choice is, because Scripture says this, if we as a Christian, in our freedom, do something that they don't think we should do in our freedom as a mature Christian, and when they look at us and they stumble and they fall because of that, then what we should do is not do what we think our freedom permits us to do if it's going to cause them to stumble or become weaker or to fail. So what we're doing is guarding our freedom so that we don't hurt someone else on their journey of spiritual maturity. So think about some of the things that we do that we have freedom to do, but also think about the conscience of others who are weak, that are very fragile yet in their understanding of Scripture. They've lived under legalism a long time. They've lived under something that did not help them to understand the freedom that we have in Christ. And then there's some things that we can do for those people that are out there that are struggling with this. We might look at some of them and say, you know, they are weak. They have become weak and in their weaknesses, they have now embraced a particular sin. Now, I don't want you to be a fruit inspector, but there'll be people around you that you know are doing things that are wrong. Phrases that they use, statements that they're making that you know do not please the Lord. Look at Galatians 6.1 and here's what you read. It says, Brother, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritually mature, you restore that weak one gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens in a way that will fulfill the love of Christ. When it talks about helping the weak, I think of coming alongside. And the word help is a very difficult word to translate in the Greek, unbelievably so, but it is. And it talks about wrapping your arm around, lifting them up, carrying them, holding them, doing whatever you can to get them to their next level. Now, let me qualify this. This does not mean psychologically that you enter into a codependent relationship where this person is only as strong as you're strong. And so now they're getting their strength only from you. Your purpose is to get them up like a physical therapist that's helping them to become stronger so they can walk on their own. But a physical therapist isn't going to say, okay, I'm your therapist for the rest of your life, so you don't need to walk any longer. I'll carry you through the rest of life. And that's not what we want to do as a Christian, but we do want to understand that there are those that might need some spiritual therapists around them to help them. So think about those kind of people. We would call those the can't-do people, and they just need some practical action that might help them along. So think about those kinds of people that might come into your life. I'm thinking about an illustration uh, uh, that happened a, a number of years ago. See if you remember this. You've heard of the Special Olympics. They have Special Olympics for adults, then they have Special Olympics for children. You young people that are here, Special Olympics is usually Olympics that are designed for people that have physical or mental challenges. We used to call them handicaps, but I, I don't want to go there, but I think you know what I mean. 
And so they would plan these special events and the kids would work hard and they would have fun doing this, preparing for it. Then they would have so much fun during the event because they'd get their little special awards for all of this. So they'd be all happy about it. Well, at this particular Special Olympics, all the kids were on the line together and they're all giggling and laughing and having a good time because they know in any minute they're going to run. And so they're waiting for the gun to go off. So the gun goes off, bang. And they all start laughing and giggling and they're all running and waddling down the field. And they're all having a good time and the parents are cheering them on. But in this true story, one of the kids lost its footing and fell. Ten feet in front of that person who had fallen. The kids all noticed that their buddy wasn't there, so they just stopped. And they looked around and their buddy was behind them. And every single one of them went back, picked up their buddy, and they all ran to the finish line together. Now you're smiling, you're laughing. Some of you might even have a little tear in your eye. Well, that kind of reminds me of that's what the church is all about. We don't shoot our own people in the back, so to speak, our own troops. We look at those that have fallen, maybe by choice, maybe by weakness. But we come right alongside them and we say, we love you. And will you let us help you? Because someday, someday, we might fall and you want to be strong to help lift us up. And that's what encouragement is all about. But we're going to end with the final quality of an encourager. We have to appreciate them. You seek God on who and how to appreciate them. We have to be discerning because there's going to be some people that are going to need some special attention. The lazy people, the timid people, the weak people. Who are they and how are you going to treat them? Some you warn, some you help, some you encourage. But now we have to have the quality of patience. Look at this. It says, be patient with all. It goes on to say, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. It's kind of like protect one another here. But always pursue what is good, both for yourself and for all. I like that. What's good for you first, because you have to be strong in order for you to help others. So make sure you take care of yourself, but not only yourself, but also the others. But don't just go after others, but not take care of yourself. So you've got to do it for both. But the idea here is to be patient. Who needs patience? We all do. I need patience and you need patience. We all need patience. Who of us needs God's patience? Everybody does. Look at 2 Timothy 2. It says, The Lord's servant must gently teach those who disagree. Gently. That maybe God will change their minds so that they can accept the truth and they may wake up and escape from the trap of the devil. I think of myself and I think of those that have been patient with me through the years who have allowed me to make mistakes when they weren't going to cost the kingdom or God's glory. Those who were patient enough with me when they taught me and I still didn't get it right until I did get it right that didn't marginalize me and didn't leave me. I'm grateful for those. We're lifelong friends now. But you know, I'm thinking about all those that I wasn't patient with you see, my personal nature, and I, some of you know me, I, I'm one of those that want to, let's get with the program or let's get on to the next thing. So I struggle with this in my life. This is one of those areas. The other, some, I'm pretty good with that. I can handle all the appreciation and all the affirmation, encouragement. I can give all the praise. But sometimes I'm not patient with people. And I have to tell you, I'm grateful for those that when I am not patient, they're willing to say, Pastor, slow down. Pastor, give me some time. Pastor, I'm let, let me have another do-over. And I'm going to tell you on this side of this that I'm now sensitive enough that if I don't catch myself in my impatience, and generally I do it when I'm tired or behind schedule, because as much as I'm people with you guys, I'm really task-driven. If you believe that, say, uh-huh. 
as my staff, okay, and my wife. But now, seriously speaking, we who are impatient with all, we do more damage when we try to get someone to do something beyond their capability yet in their walk with God. You pick fruit too soon, it will never ripen, it will rot hard and not soft. And so I'd like to encourage you that when you work with your kids, be an encourager. Affirm them. Make sure that they have direction so they're not unruly or idle. But at the same time, be patient with them. Because I'm going to tell you that it's the mercy and the patience of God that brings about the change in our heart the most. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, <clears throat> we talked a little bit about God and how He wants us to encourage one another. But for right now, I'd like to speak to those of you who are our guests today. And you need a special encouragement. And that encouragement is where you're going to spend eternity when you die. You've heard this message and you can think about the times that you have failed and those that have failed you and, and now you're bitter and a little bit angry, disappointed. And you're feeling this guilt about you. Well, I want you to know that God does expect us to be perfect to go to heaven. 100% perfect. And then he quickly says, but there's no way you can be perfect in yourself, so I'm going to give you my perfection as a gift. Not that you'll live a perfect life, but that I'm going to give you my righteousness on your account. You're going to get that right now. It's on your account right now. You are perfectly righteous before me. So when you die, you can go to heaven. And yes, you ought to live righteously, but that righteousness that you live will never get you to heaven because you'll never be perfect yet. But he says, for me to give that to you, you have to come to me in faith, expressing your need for it. You have to come to me and say, I'm not perfect, I'm a sinner, and I'm going to be separated for all eternity. And come to him and clearly indicate that you know your good works will never get you to heaven, for by grace you've been saved from hell through faith, and going to heaven is a gift of God, not of works. And you want to come to him totally by faith. And when you do, it's not just faith in a system, faith in yourself, that'll never work. It's believing that Jesus is the Lord who died and rose again and he shed his blood for you on the cross and that he's willing to forgive you of all your sin, past, present, and future, big and small, once and for all. And you're now trusting in him for that salvation. And so you simply come to him by faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. And so you might say this, Lord, I'm a sinner. I know I've done things wrong. I know I want you in my life and I want to be what I just heard today. I want a home in heaven and an eternal relationship with you. So Lord, I'm going to trust you as the one who died and rose again. And that you'll live your life out through me and to give me eternal life. I want to say thank you for all of that. So with every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, is there anyone in here today by an uplifted hand? they would silently by that hand indicate that today's the day you're ready to receive Christ as your Savior. And you know He's coming back and you know He's going to come back and He will receive you. And you'd like for me to pray for you. Now let me quickly say my prayer for you won't save you. Raising your hand won't save you. Just like doing any good deed won't save you. It's not by faith and good works. It is only by faith. Now we do our good works afterwards as a thank you for what the Lord's done but... 
Our good works is not part of our salvation. It's all of grace. So is there anyone in here today with every head bowed and every eye closed that will silently lift up your hand and by that hand that's indicating to me that today is the day you're calling upon the Lord to be your Savior. You've not done it before. This is your time to do it. You're doing it now and it's once and for all and you'd like for me to pray for you. Is there anyone at all? Would you slip up your hand right now? Is there anyone? Put it up. Real high. Christians, let me ask you this as we close in prayer. How many of you know of someone that needs encouragement? Is there someone in your life that you need to affirm right now, to appreciate? Some leader over you or someone who's serving with you? Because it talks about those who are over you and those who serve among you. Is there anyone that needs something from you that you haven't done in a while? Secondly, are there some people in your life that are lazy or unruly, possibly timid, or weak, that you need to come alongside and either warn them or help them or encourage them, that you need to be more relational. And then like me, how many of us need to count upon the patience of God and the fruit of His Spirit, which is love, but it's also long-suffering and patience and gentleness. And then you're going to go to the Lord and you're going to trust Him for that. And you're going to power down a little bit with people and Make sure that you have a relationship with them before you go and begin to correct them. And when you do it, you do it gently, mercifully. How many of you would like to have prayer today because you're going to take what you've heard and you're going to bestow it upon someone. You're going to use it to encourage them because Jesus is coming back soon. Would you slip up your hand? Is there anyone at all? Amen. Amen. Father, together as a family... We heard a lot today about encouraging, but the Spirit of God is going to speak to us. We're going to be an encourager, not a discourager. We're going to be a builder, not a destroyer. And so, Lord, we're going to come alongside other people to comfort them and to build them up. So, Father, as you choose to bring them in front of us, let us do that. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Joe Pons, and I want to thank you for listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Clarity Christian College. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It's the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. That's makeitclear.org. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please email us at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. That's tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.